You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, hello there. Very warm welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast, where every week we bring you everything that is fun, exciting and innovative in the digital procurement space. And this week we're taking another look at the contract management ecosystem and how this kind of pivots over a little bit into the legal tech space in one form or another. So in the past, we've talked about blockchain in contracts with Elena from InHubber. And then we were looking at how AI can be used and leveraged to help redline and autocorrect and do marked up changes in contracts with Dan from Black Boiler. Now, today we're going to be looking at some of the more contract process automation features that a digital procurement or legal technology platform can offer in this space to make buyers and and lawyers' lives both easier. And as part of this conversation, we are going to have a look at why sometimes that relationship can be a little bit strained and then dig into some of the solutions and some of the technology that can help alleviate that and make buyers and lawyers like each other again. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring in this week's guest, who is Giles Thompson of London-based legal tech startup, Avoca. Giles, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And actually, it's um, really interesting to hear the, the context of a lot, a lot of the people who've been on the show previously, you know, their, their names that we know pretty well. And I guess we're just, you know, filling in the puzzle a little bit more today. Yeah, and and that's you raise a good point because a lot of this tech is looking at it from a bias perspective, very very complementary to uh, to each other, and kind of solves a different problem. You know, if we look at blockchain or AI driven redline, especially, and then how your little piece comes in in terms of process automation within contracts. I think each one of those is very very complementary, and you could almost, especially in a big organization, argue the case for for having. All, all three of them within your ecosystem. So before we kick off, maybe just spend a little bit of uh, of time just sharing a bit about your background, because you're actually a lawyer by training, aren't you? And then how you became involved in, in, in Avoca, and then we can dive into why do buyers and lawyers hate each other? <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, my background is I trained at Herbert Smith Freehills, a law firm in London, lots of people will be familiar with. Um, then I, I actually en- ended up being a patent litigator um, at Kirkland and Ellis. But actually, in the intervening period, I, I worked at Pax uh, uh, slash Jewel, um, the, the vaporizer company, which a lot of people will be familiar with, or, or one was ne- spun out from the other. And also BP International, where I supported um, the international uh, indirect um, procurement um, contracting process there. Um, so have some experience, I guess, um, as a lawyer, but trying to be as commercial a lawyer as I possibly can in, in that context. And, and yeah, well, I mean, why do I do what I do? Well, I mean, I, I saw a huge opportunity when I was practicing. We were doing a lot of work for really big corporates, whether that was a little litigation or more contracting. And, and the process for, you know, taking a, a draft uh, contract from a precedent 
and converting it into a live document with all of the relevant commercial details and, and the right content in it was cumbersome. Um, and actually, you know, when I was at BP International, you know, advising uh, procurement people, I, I was often repeating myself a lot, um, giving people the same advice, um, lifting and, and shifting the same paragraphs to go into the same different documents when quite frankly, those people would have been better off clicking a couple of boxes um, instead of having to pick up the phone to me and actually only picking up the phone to me where perhaps they needed a bit of lawyer clout on on a call with them actually during a negotiation as opposed to just basically having me uh, green light a, a, a very basic amendment to a contract, which I, I needn't have, uh, you know, green, green lit at all. And in terms of, I guess, what, what I do now, I mean, is it worth me covering that now, James? Yeah, you can do briefly. Yeah, I mean, we'll jump into some of the solutions that that Avoca helps to solve or automate a little bit later. But yeah, maybe just give us the the helicopter view, and then we can dig into the specifics a little bit later on. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, basically, what what I do now is I'm I'm head of growth at Avoca, and what Avoca does is um, contract uh, or document automation. Uh, collaboration, negotiation, and analytics. It's a platform for for doing all of those things. So, I mean, essentially. Taking that 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 first you know draft of a contract or, or a document and, and making it a, a process of filling in an online form and then generating that that contract or, or, or document, however complex, and then taking care of the rest of the sort of life cycle of that document. And looking back to my time working in corporate procurement, I feel that would be a an extremely valuable thing to have uh, within my repertoire of tools because you know if we if we go into now areas where procurement and legal can often get frustrated with each other. One of the things that I noticed, and I, and I certainly think this is pretty endemic in most large corporates, is that if they have in-house legal teams, generally speaking, they are staffed to focus more on sales rather than purchase contracts. And the worm is changing a little bit now, with especially with more focus on things like risk management and, and and ESG and traceability of materials that type of thing you know the the danger of uh, of scandals being uh, being out there and the and the brand damage that that can do but the biggest frustration i think was it just took legal too long to respond and it wasn't because they didn't take what we were asking them to do seriously they just didn't have the headcount to deal with a policy of everything should go to legal. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I completely ag- agree with that. And, and actually, the way that you know, legal service teams within, I guess, corporates or, or you know, e- even where they are actually an outsourced um, service provision, they're having to transform the thing, the ways that they do things hugely. And actually, they're under huge, huge pressure because they've got smaller teams themselves and they're servicing more and more people. So, uh, you know, I have to, you know, give that qualifier because that <laughs> that is where where I, I guess I, I came from. But actually, on the other side, you know, I, I'm now effectively a salesperson. And the, the job of that a salesperson is doing from a pro- contractual process perspective is almost identical to someone who's in the procurement side. I, th- I think, you know, at the very basic level, I-, I don't think that the default should be actually speaking to a lawyer. I mean, if-, if there's a problem, people always want a lawyer on the end of the phone. But actually, if you are, you know, a procurement person or a, a-, a legal, uh, sorry, a-, a salesperson, and it's sort of nine o'clock, and you're just trying to get a-, a contract out on the Friday, just before you go and you know, start your holiday, you don't want to have to set up a meeting the next week, or, you know, as soon as you're back with a lawyer, um, so that they can do that for you. And you don't want to necessarily fill out some overly prescriptive form so that they can then subsequently just send you back a document 
you know, what you really want is an online portal that you can go into, input certain data in, and then actually just download your document straight away, either that or automatically have it routed through and sent through to your counterparty using that system. So it's actually kind of yeah, moving away from that model of actually having to ask for permission, because let's be honest, like the, the procurement staff and the, and the sales staff, they're the rock stars in, in these organizations. You know, you know, I, 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 maybe it's a bit controversial to say with with your listenership, you know, arguably, maybe more the salespeople. But you know, if you get a great deal on on procuring a major thing that the organization has to procure, I mean, you're still smashing the margin um, in a really appreciable way and improving profit. But but yeah, actually, it's moving to that focus where those people are getting what they want when they want it. And then in, in, in all that time that you're saving, where the legal person isn't having to sort of bespokely create that document, they can be tagged in relation to a particular agreement. So they can literally have their email address tagged in a comment and they can come in and provide bespoke advice where truly bespoke advice is required. And actually, one of the really cool things that I, I think, you know, I, I think that sells this hugely to procurement and sales staff is if, if there is a trend in every negotiation, if you're having to ask for a particular stock clause or a particular amendment every single time, you know, that shows that your, you know, template contracts aren't fit for purpose. If you want to get more deals done, um, the business has got to make a commercial decision. Does it want to keep that annoying provision in there or does it want to delete it? And actually by using a system uh, where all of that negotiation is tracked, all the contents of those first drafts are tracked, it means that the commercial people can go in and look and see, look, we're getting this particular liability provision or whatever it is taken out every single time. So actually let's just scrap it and then we're going to be able to actually procure, procure stuff a little bit more smoothly and a little bit uh, you know, more sensibly. And actually that template that everybody's working with becomes more workable, more useful, and frankly, less of a headache for the people that are forced to use it. And, you know, it's it's really easy um, to say to a, uh, the legal team, look, your template is absolutely killing us. You, you know, it's flogging us. We Nobody ever agrees to provision. Why on earth do you insist on it? And then they, you know, maybe they say, well, we got told to in law school. You know, it, it means that those commercial people can actually say, look, the reality is this is absolutely killing us and you need to remove it. And here's the data that shows why. So there's lots of reasons why it can be really, really helpful. Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. 
that buyers often don't feel confident negotiating legal documents because of a lack of formal contract training. And you know, while a lot of new people coming into the profession will probably get that as part of their professional education, if they're doing something like a, a SIPS qualification, for example, a lot of established procurement pros may not have come across a lot of legal terminology in the past so much because it wasn't such a, a core sort of part of their of their role. And you hit on a really good point that often contracts are written in such a one-sided way. And, it, and, and you're right, it is kind of counterproductive if, if that means that every time a contract's negotiated, a lawyer has to get involved. But then if, if the procurement team is not empowered to be able to take that clause out or, or to replace it with a, a less strong but still acceptable wording, that, that's another way that we, that, we either, that we either often feel exposed because of our lack of knowledge or we feel that our hands are tied because... We've been given a tool that's not really fit for function. So yeah, I mean, in I mean, every contract is different, right? But typically, the types of clauses that come up as being the sticking points are going to be the same for most different categories and in and in most different organisations. I suspect absolutely. And I think another point that's sort of related to this is the quality of advice you're going to get from a legal advisor if let's say let's say that we're talking about the liability provision you know if you're asking if if there are 100 people asking 100 separate questions to you know a team of 10 people the average answer that you know in their 10 answers that each member of the legal team is going to give is going to be quite scant it's going to be quite brief and it's going to be quite delayed but actually if you centralize a lot of this advice and, and and it's the same basic let's assume it's the same basic question as everybody's asking what you can do is you can do stuff like incorporating in the forms videos um so you know using that time where those 100 questions would have been answered you could have the best person on liability from that legal team record a video and talk through the different options so maybe in your form you have four different options you have super my employer friendly, super counterparty friendly option. And then maybe you've, you know, the team using all the data about what historically has been agreed, they've decided that, right, our default provision is this. And actually, you know, if our uh, person is, you know, who is negotiating the contracts, gets loads of those provisions unlocked within the, the agreements that they agree, maybe they get some kind of financial compensation. So we can later report on that and see, you know, which of our negotiators are currently achieving the best commercial terms for the business from a risk perspective, as well as the overall volumes of deals that they're doing. So I think I think there's one point here in that those, you know, those heroes who are actually negotiating really good terms for the business, they've got no way of actually saying, look, I, I'm getting green light, green light, green light, green light across the board, because I'm so blinking persuasive. But at the moment, nobody's getting any credit for that. So there's one point there of people actually getting credit for negotiating those terms and that being, you know, undeniable data. But actually, the quality of the advice that people have when it talk, when you know, from an educational perspective, when they're going in and trying to select the different options, whether that be my employer friendly or my employer unfriendly, can be that much better and it can be super interactive. And the other thing as well is you can integrate um, approval processes as well. So let's say, the legal team, and I hear this a lot from legal teams, they're worried about someone selecting terrible provision for my employer when it comes to liability straight away. So obviously, you can mitigate that with having guidance videos. But actually, maybe we have a few, you know, as you say, sort of middle options, and those middle options don't trigger an approval process necessarily. But if you select that terrible provision, then an approval process gets uh, triggered and you have to, you know, explain why you're asking for a particular provision to be changed. So, you know, you're... 
I guess there's that middle ground between having to request that derogation, but then in the, you know, that middle ground where something's okay, uh, but you don't necessarily need to actually speak to someone legal. You're, yeah, you think you're, I'm using your word, James, you're actually empowered in the, in the, the true sense, empowered and educated about it. And, and in that sense, you're right, Giles, because if I do, if I am forced to accept a, a really bad term for my organization, but through that, with the supplier that I'm dealing with, uh, I'm delivering, for example, a million dollars worth of savings, then, you know, procurement, you know, and to a large extent sales as well, live in the real world in that sense and, and are willing to sort of cross trade that. Whereas, you know, legal in a lot of cases are not maybe as commercially literate in that sense in terms of, you know, what the st- what, what stakes are at play. And they they understandably have a job to protect the business, whereas a, a procurement professional or a sales professional is going to look at the bigger picture. And if that does trigger a need to review that with 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 legal then it's it's the it's the small number of cases rather than rather than a blanket policy which i think in most cases certainly speaking from personal experience i i would have been more than happy to do that knowing what you know the commercial benefit would be to the business and and versus the risk of accepting that that watered down clause so yeah it it is a two-way street and i think bringing legal into the picture in terms of what is at stake or or you know what are the commercial implications of dragging this out or insisting on on a certain wording or clause can be hugely valuable. I love the idea of putting videos into the process or putting explainers in to enable the procurement professional or, or indeed the sales executive to be able to self serve uh, in that sense to reduce the amount of paperwork that goes to legal. Let's come on a little bit now in terms of the types of process automation that Avoca can offer. But before I do that, can it can it also deal with third-party paper as well as native contracts? Is there is there a way that it can deal with, you know, non-standard contracts that are coming in where, you know, because of the power in the buyer-supplier relationship, your organization has no option but to accept the supplier's contract format yeah absolutely so look it it works a lot better if you've got your own paper and i think everybody understands that the whole process is better when you're using your own paper because you you know even if you you're not necessarily a contract expert you know most procurement staff know their you know standard form contract inside and out but but yeah you can absolutely upload that third-party paper and you can still you know use avoca for collaboration with your your legal team negotiation via the platform um, and also for the, the the analytics as well to a to a certain extent. But I, I think I think one of the things as well is you know sometimes that you do you do have to accept that yeah you, you may have the leverage to um, you know you may not have the leverage to uh, dictate whether they're your terms or not. But you you know it, it, there's probably a pretty rare middle scenario where you're able to dictate not your whose paper is used but you're able to dictate the forum in, in which the negotiation happens you know so i think you know there are scenarios where you're just going to have to continue to use the usual and the old way but i think that you know uh, we're seeing the, these types of technologies become so much more pervasive in the market and i think people are slowly becoming to accept that actually negotiating via a you know a more streamlined um collaboration platform um, it, it is the way to go. But yeah, I mean, uh, we, we certainly had, even at BP International, we even we certainly had a you know, double-digit percentage of people who just refused to use um, uh, BP paper at all. I, I think the, the other thing as well is you, you, don't, you don't necessarily ha- you know, ha- have to do use the collaboration and the negotiation functionality to, to benefit massively. 
um, you know, you maybe maybe the, the core benefit that you're after is actually just getting going and getting started. I think the other thing as well is ticketing, you know, where you're using a, a platform like Avoca. One of the real benefits is actually sort of ticketing and getting a, a, a assistance where you need it on that first draft, um, as opposed to all the way through the process necessarily. And, and actually, just to pick up on a point that you made a little bit earlier as well, James, you mentioned that the you know, procurement and sales staff that they are really concerned with like those deal objectives. So making a saving, but also like getting the deal done. I think I did just, I do just want to make one point, which is that actually, you know, where people are able, you know, to use the, the platform like Avoca for the course of the negotiation, whether that's their paper or somebody else's paper, it actually gives the legal team uh, visibility as well of the deal velocity. And so, you know, in black and white, it shows a couple of stats that are really important how long they've sat on a particular draft. So it's sort of that concept of, you know, customer service and ticketing that they're exposed to. But it also shows where their comments have actually held up a deal or have caused more turns of a document. So you can actually start to have, you know, different ways of justifying, um, you know, the work that lawyers are doing. So lawyers, instead of being rewarded on how many hours they've done, might be rewarded on, you know, or the quality of advice they've given. It might be something that's a bit more quantifiable, like how quickly they turn those documents around, you know, how many, how few turns the documents that they've had, they've worked on, have gone through. And so you can actually start to incentivize those lawyers in a slightly more commercial way as well. But I know that's slightly taking a, a, a gander in a, a different direction, James. No, it's, it's very, very relevant because, yeah, it's, you know, law and, and I guess accountancy to some extent as well is, and consulting, these are the classic paper hour professionals traditionally, aren't they? But if you're working with an in-house team rather than an external team, then the kind of KPIs that you can measure them on are infinite, really, aren't they? Because in the in the end, at the end of the day, they're a they're, they're an in-house service provider. You know, they're an internal procurement isn't in, and sales are, are internal customers of of an in-house legal team, whereas you know, buy a client relationship on, on, on the outside, if you're using an external counsel where it's, where it's typically paid, paid, paid by the hour. And, um, and, and that's the way it is, unless you can negotiate something different. Um, so no, I, th- I think that's very, very relevant. Let, let's talk a little bit about automation. I wanted to use a couple of very extreme examples for you to hopefully sort of make it easy for the listener to understand to what extent Avoca and, and its automation capabilities can can assist. So let's look at on the very simple side, a fairly standard non-disclosure agreement, NDA, that I think pretty much every procurement professional has sent out to a supplier in some shape or form uh, over, their, uh, over their careers. And pretty much every procurement professional would have to come into contact with uh, in their role, whatever whatever it is that they're buying. And then on, on the opposite side of the spectrum, let's take a very, very complex IT or professional services contract that is, you know, typically non-standard, you know, you're not buying millions and millions of of widgets that's very standardized, you're buying a very bespoke professional service, which uh, necessitates quite a lot of bespoke contract terms, or certainly appendices to the contract. So can you maybe walk through those two different examples, whereas one, I guess, is going to be speed and efficiency, whereas the other one is, you know, highlighting potential clauses that could be problematic or areas that that may that may require some give and take the first thing to say you know and, and not to be too contrarian about it james is that actually the the process is actually probably one process in in a lot of cases interesting okay so yeah to to, to start off that process uh, where you're doing that let's say let's say let's say complicated master services con you know agreement 
Um, the first stage of that process is actually probably signing the NDA um, before you even get talking about that other, you know, that other more complicated document. So absolutely, there is no sensible world in which um, someone should have to be submitting a request form or, uh, you know, asking a lawyer to, to give them an NDA. Absolutely. The first thing that should happen is you get that email in the inbox saying, right, you know, we're going to sell to you or <laughs> whatever it says, something a bit less st- uh, wooden than that. You jump into your um, wiki or your your internal portal. You, um, in an ideal world, um, you've got something like Salesforce or, or some other, you know, customer relationship management or vendor relationship management software. You t- you go into this, the, the, the online portal, you type in the name of that ven- vendor and then all of the rest of the details about that vendor are pulled into your form and then you press done. Either those are being pulled in from your, you know, relationship management software, um, or that's being pulled in from a public, rep- you know, repository like Companies House. And then you press done, and then automatically that document has been sent to the email address associated uh, with that potential, you know, counterparty within your, you know, relationship management system. So you're not even having to type in the email; it's already pulled through from your other source. And then all you, you know, you don't even have to press send. And that automatically goes right into their inbox, fully drafted. And you've got an integration with DocuSign and Adobe Sign, which means that they just jump jump in, they click the link, and then they are, you know, encountered with you know the DocuSign or Adobe Sign saying, please sign this NDA. That's your and look, if they ever want to comment on that, then you can negotiate via the platform, et cetera. But that should be the scope of the process. It should be, you know, one click onto the wiki. Uh, one type of, uh, you know, the, the client name and then one click to press done. So it should be, you know, one typing and two clicks overall, that whole process. Now, Interesting. So, so sorry, just to interrupt you, just one second on that. So uh, assuming then that the buyer knows what to send and that they have an internal repository of standardized unilateral and mutual NDA forms, then it should be an email-free process is what you're saying. So it should be able to be managed through through Avoca and then through whatever your contract sign-off technology of choice is, be it Adobe Sign, DocuSign, or or any other third-party provider of that. Yeah, and absolutely. And and look, you know, I I personally think it's bonkers that people even think about what type of NDA they're going to send through. You know, it should just be you click a button in your portal which says confidentiality agreement. You know, even better, it says I've got a deal where I need to ensure confidentiality. You know, I think it should always be phrased as problems. And then in the background, your legal team should have put together all different versions of the, you know, disclosure agreement that you're ever going to possibly need. And then basically the relevant parts of that agreement just drop into whatever the agreement that's generated is based on the answers that you give. Now, I think the questions like should the obligations within this, you know, uh, NDA be mutual? I, I absolutely hate questions like that because... That is not a commercial question. You're not. You shouldn't be making legal decisions as a commercial commercial person unless you absolutely have to. The, maybe the, the the job of the legal team should be actually look if you know if, if this is a potential purchase of over um, fifty thousand British pounds, then what we need to do is we absolutely need to make this a mutual NDA. And then if it's uh, less than that, then we're 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 comfortable insisting that actually it's just them that owes us a duty of confidentiality. So, you know, you you come up with business rules like that. And then when you launch your questionnaire and you pull across all of the data from your customer relationship management, maybe we know the deal value from that customer relationship management software. So we know that it's 200,000. That drops straight into our uh, form. 
We have the opportunity to change it and tweak it if we want, but we probably don't. And then we press done. And then we get a, a mutual NDA that sends off. We don't even care or know it's a mutual NDA, but it gets generated and then sent through to our counterparty because the data that our legal team knows that we're already going to have or we're going to be working with that commercial information triggers a, the creation of a particular version of an NDA. But actually, it's just not necessary for that commercial person to have to think about that. So I hope that kind of process design you know, m- makes sense to you as well, James. It makes a lot of sense as long as the, the company is progressive enough to have all of that in place, which I guess is the... I, I guess is the stumbling block in in most organizations, isn't it? I mean, what, what's your experience? Have you come across companies that do have that in place and can just slot a, a, a vocker in? Or or do you normally find that, that you have to educate them around where they need to bring their other processes you know, in, into, into line to enable it to seamlessly function? I'm selling you the dream here, James. So this is, <laughs> you know, this is <laughs> it, when people first implement it, you know, it's it's rarely that good. But, you know, as with anything in, in life, don't, don't try and get it perfect first time around or you'll never actually get started with it. And I think the, the, first, the first thing to say is a lot of people listening to this will be thinking, well, I'm not happy with any of my template contracts. You know, they're all a bit, a bit defective or I, I downloaded them, you know, four years ago or, you know, copied them off of a counterparty ages ago. And we haven't really ever made them our own or our product range has changed. So actually, they're not quite right for what we need. Those people are all in the majority. Um, but but absolutely, I guess my, my my kind of evangelizing, I suppose, is to legal people um, as opposed to, to to procurement people. These are the kinds of demands that absolutely should be placed on the legal team. And you know, I, I guess maybe you'll disagree with me, James. But I, I think I think personally, a lot of procurement people I speak to just don't want to think about this stuff. They just want to be able to click and get what they want and get on with their job. And actually, if you're sort of in charge of operations you know, the, the feed that desire, really, um, and expect that from the legal team if we possibly can. But yeah, I guess be fair to them as well in that they certainly need to be rewarded and, and given feedback as to, you know, how much easier they are making life. And actually, with something like, an, you know, even a, even a complex MSA, I'm actually setting up one of those for automation and actually sort of deciding the, the, the at least a first template version of that contract it, it it needn't take forever. I mean, we, we've seen these kinds of projects get up and running and completed within about sort of three weeks from not even having a template at the very beginning of the process. Yeah, I, I would actually agree with you that I think my, most procurement people do just want to have the templates ready to go. I think the area where perhaps the there is a little bit of misalignment is that legal will often think of all indirect spenders being able to follow the same contract template, whereas you know, an IT contract and a transportation or a warehousing contract is going to be vastly different, perhaps not in terms of red lines around limitation of liability and indemnity and that type of thing, but in terms of the service provision and things like intellectual property and and, the, and, and, and those types of clauses are going to be are going to be very, very different. So I think that's the only area where I would push back and say, I think legal, legal and procurement probably need to talk to each other a little bit more in terms of understanding or making helping uh, helping legal to understand what are the different nuances between the different categories so as that then enables them to go and do do their job and and provide templates that are relevant to let's say 80 90 percent of what's being bought i think that's bang on james and actually i'm really glad that you've specifically called out both the example of uh, you know ip clauses 
and also the example of different types of products that are being purchased. So one of my pet peeves when I was advising on this stuff was I'd always end up looking at contracts that had loads of provisions about developed IP in them. So effectively, the you know ability for us as the, as the company to own any you know stuff that was developed in the context of the, that particular transaction. So it's it's very relevant for software. You, uh, you know, if you're if you're developing, uh, you, you you've hired someone to you know code something for you. Of course, you should own whatever they develop. But if you're you know if somebody is you know selling you uh, potatoes for the cafeteria. Um, you know, they probably don't want to, you know, give you, you know, the rights to any amendments that they've made to their, you know, uh, potato harvester and their boxing process. It's just entirely inappropriate. And that that kind of stuff is what always holds up deals. But actually, that's I'm glad you've used the example of different like product types, because I think that absolutely the information that the, the that the commercial person should be asked for is, you know, in, in that questionnaire. So let's say they've done the NDA, you've got that completed NDA. Then the next process is you jump into the Avoca platform, you click that NDA that you have with that vendor, and then you click create related document. That related, what it's going to do is it's going to fire up a questionnaire for your services agreement. But then the main question it's going to ask you is what product types are you buying? And so then you click, you know, I'm buying a, a widget. I'm also buying a service to maintain that widget. And then the relevant schedules or parts of that document drop in. But that world or that vision can only be possible, James, where there is that, you know, as you allude to, really good communication between legal and between procurement, because all they care about is the product that they're selling and that they have relevant provisions for it. But actually, it does take quite a bit of work in the background for that legal team to decide, hey, which of my provisions are you know, required for this type of product? which are for this one and which ones are mutually applicable. And so therefore need to be in every single draft, not just particular types of ones. So there's definitely a bit of sort of legwork to be done by the legal team, but it you know pays dividends in the long run. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Um, final thing that I wanted to ask you was around, especially in terms of automation, how, how do you deal with tracking changes in a document? Because that's one thing as a, as a procurement pro, I just find find Microsoft Word is really clunky for this, just in terms of how accepting and rejecting changes can affect the formatting of a contract that you've spent so long on, and also just keep keeping track of uh, and, and ensuring that, that the integrity stays in, in the different changes that various counterparties have done to that contract. So how, how does Avoca manage that? So you negotiate on the platform. So if I'm sending, uh, you know, my my catering supplier, my my contract, they're getting a link and they're jumping to, into the Avoca platform. And what they'll see for, on the first draft is a completely clean version of the contract, which they can go in and comment on if we have if they have sufficient leverage. Maybe we block them from commenting on it at all, but that's a slightly different question. Let's say they mark up a couple of clauses. Then what they do is they send the document back to us. And what we will automatically see within the platform is the one source of truth. We will see a red line of what they've done to the contract since we sent it to them. And we will have our eyes drawn to that. And we know because it's all via Avoca that they haven't messed around with those track changes. We don't need to run a manual comparison ourselves. We don't need to read it through line by line. We just know that that is exactly what has changed. We can accept and reject that and then mark it up ourselves and send it back. So you don't have this, you know, idea of, oh my gosh, you know, when did Steve last send the contract? You know, 
who was the last person to amend something because it's tracking who's doing what, whether that's different people on your side of the table who can all mark it up together in real time. Uh, and it's sort of logging those individuals on when they've done what they've done or whether that is you seeing, okay, this contract has now been sat with the other side for however long. We can't see what they've done, but we know that they've been editing the document for four days. So the whole idea of kind of wrangling a version and knowing you know, what the new changes are versus the old changes is just a waste of time. So we've done away with that entirely. Um, and you know, hopefully we're able to provide a lot of reassurance um, around um, version control for clients. What size of business would you typically need to be to to see an ROI on this? I mean, I know it's a little bit subjective in terms of how many contracts do you have going through in the complexity, but but just give me a rough idea. Well, I, I'm going to sort of answer um, in, in a bit of an indirect way there, but you know, I, I can come around to a slightly more direct answer. So our, our first package starts starts out at um, three hundred pounds per month. Um, and so, you know, effectively you just have to be doing what say saving, um, enough time, uh, to justify a 300 pound, um, a month, um, expenditure. Um, and when we think about the hourly rates that lawyers charge, if you're saving sort of <laughs> one hour of, uh, you know, a decent associate, um, you, you've already made the saving there. But what I would also say is, you know, a lot of what I've talked about is customer experience. You know, you know, I think you used that phrase as well, James, of, of the procurement teams, of the sales teams. So I think also finding qualitative measures as well, um, you know, for the ROI, not necessarily just finan- fin- directly financial ones. So finding out, you know, how people rate the legal team, um, how people rate the legal services that they've been provided, the velocity of the deals um, and how quickly those are going through. So I think it will depend on business to business, but basically finding out what direct financial and indirect financial things you care about. And, you know, things like happiness aren't to be kind of shirked at, um, you know, I guess churn in any business and particularly good procurement teams is really, really costly. So I would say the return on investment doesn't have to be a huge amount if you make, you know, a couple of your rock star and procurement staff um, that much more happy. Uh, because you know they're used to being unhappy with the legal service, probably, um, and, and they're much much less likely to move if they feel like they're able to get their deals through that much cleaner with you and, and make their commission or um, or whatever the case may be in terms of their incentives a bit quicker and in, in a higher volume. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, ease ease of use and making job making someone's job easier is is absolutely a soft factor that's more difficult to measure, but 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 is very 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 relevant. I, I completely agree. I guess where I was kind of angling at with that is and, and from your answer I I definitely get it is that you're not solely an enterprise solution and I guess a, a, any sort of mid mid-sized business that's big enough to have a, an established procurement team and a decent number of contracts going through it could could quite easily see ROI on this is is what you're saying yeah and, and, and actually it's almost some of the benefits are are best for the smaller teams because you yeah. may not have a legal team you may have a consultant come in and refresh your templates for you. Um, and then it might just be the best thing in the world to make sure that they're all automated. And then any procurement, you know, stuff that you have, maybe you have two or three are just using that portal to access their contracts. And you know that they're using a version of the contracts that is exactly as that lawyer consultant that you got in or, or those template documents that you, you, you bought at one stage, um, yeah. you know, intended. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think ab- absolutely the more in some ways, the more resource constrained you are, 
um, in that regard, um, the, the better. And you know, of course, everybody also has insurance premiums. You know, no, you know, an, an insurance claim for you know one of these things going wrong, you know, is likely to affect a smaller business more than it, than it is a large one anyway. So, but I, I don't like to talk about the carrot or fear. I like to to motivate from a place of um, you know positiveness and and, and dreaming of it. Yeah, but and, and rightly or wrongly, procurement are still broadly still measured on on savings as a primary objective of you know their their, their reason to exist. And in a business where there is no in house legal, then it's not just then an internal overhead or resource that you're that you that you're saving through doing this. It's actually a, a real P and L visible cost if you're having to engage an a, an external counsel or or a team of consultants to come in and. And manage your contract. So in that case, I would almost argue that it's easier to show ROI than perhaps it is in a large enterprise because it's it's a hard number rather than a soft saving of being able to deploy internal resources more strategically. Yeah, the other thing I'd say as well is the lovely side effect of this is you're basically creating an out of the box ability to generate a due diligence report about every single contract that your 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 business has. Um, there'll be people listening to this who have had to raise investment, um, you know, you know, or, or to frankly model the finances of their business. I'd be, I'd be surprised if anyone running a business here hasn't had to do that. Uh, actually being able to download the key information from every single one of your contracts at any one moment in time, whether they be customer contracts or costs, um, is hugely valuable and actually appreciably increases the value of your business because the less skeletons that are you know the 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 less unknowns unknown unknowns about a business um the more value there is to that business as a as a bottom line so final question giles and this is going to be the easiest one to answer if anybody would like to learn more about avoca or to connect with you uh, what's the best way that they can get in touch i mean the best way is to actually just email me um or add me on linkedin um, and yeah my name is is giles thompson um that's g i l e s and Thompson with an H um, and a P. Um, and yeah, my email address um, is uh, giles at avoca.com. And that's A-V-V-O-K-A. Um, either that, or I'm sure there'll be lots of links in the uh, uh, podcast. Um, so yeah, uh, please get in touch. And um, would love to hear uh, more from you and to, to show you what the platform can do with your specific contracts. Yeah, and we will indeed link to that, link to your contact details in the show notes. Uh, Giles, it's been a pleasure. Great to talk to someone from the other side of the fence, so to speak. So uh, really insightful for me as well. So uh, yeah, good luck with your with your growth journey and, and keep in touch. Cheers. Thanks very much, James. And, and thanks for uh, keeping it good humoured and friendly, even though we're other sides of the fence. <laughs> So that was Giles giving us really a masterclass into the mind of how uh, of how legal work and some of the frustrations from both sides of the uh, of the fence and how something like Avoca can potentially bridge that gap and make everyone's lives a little bit easier. Just a couple of things before we sign off. Don't forget to check out our website, procurementsoftware.site, if you're looking for a short list of relevant procurement software according to your individual search criteria in less time than it takes to boil an egg, all of it completely free to anyone on the buy side. We do not operate a pay-to-play model. Also, we will be back with you next week with another episode. Until then, take care, look after yourselves, keep driving value and bye for now.